Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help you ease your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's Ruined. Oh, hello. My name is Hallie. And my name is Allison. And welcome to Ruined, a podcast where we ruin a horror movie just for you. Just for you. I apologize. I was just eating some vegan um, uh, pork rinds called Pig Out, Pigless Pork Rinds. This is not a paid advertisement, but they are very good. Ooh. Pig Out, I'm, I'm surprised that that hasn't been used as a snack food name yet. You know, I guess we've gone through so many different variations of, is it okay to pig out, mm-hmm. pigging out? Yeah, yes, correct. And, but uh, they definitely, look, look, they've definitely registered trademarked it and very wise. Well, that's great. I'm all in. This, this is courtesy of uh, Dave, boyfriend of the pod's mother. So shout out to you for sending it a big box of these to us. Yeah, amazing. Um, we have been asking you guys to leave us five-star reviews, um, spooky ones at that, and we will read them on the pod, and we have an extremely good one, and we'd like to read it for you now. This was left by Lord of Pirates, so thank you. The title, He's Fighting Me. Five stars. I love your show. The human host whose brain I'm implanted in merely thinks it's okay. Lord of Pirates, thank you so much for essentially oh forcing this person to listen to the pod. Yes, we really appreciate it. That's what we're asking of our listeners is whatever human you're implanted in, kind of get them get them on board. Um, and in addition to these great, I mean, and please continue to leave us um, spooky reviews with five-star ratings. We will continue reading them on the pod. But we also ask you guys for questions. Um, and we have so many good ones that, you know, we're trying to get through. But this one, this is one that I really love. Um, it's from Arden, who emailed in and said, Hi, Hallie and Allison. In the vein of the new dramatic and gritty Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reboot, what classic 90s sitcom would you want to see remade into a horror mm. movie or series? Um, Hallie, do you have uh, any ideas? I mean, my first thought did go to Urkel. I mean, he's already a mad scientist. He makes a of doppelganger course. of himself. It's kind of, it's, it's already there. Um, right, right. But I, 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 what are your thoughts, Allison? I, you know, I have to cite one of my all-time favorite '90s family comedies, which is The Nanny, which I think is just like such an easy, Ooh. you know, it's just like this like woman that no one knows kind of breezes into this house and is like seducing a widow, and there's these children. That are the, I just feel like that could so easily go, like, obviously the show is hilarious and great and wonderful and I would do anything for Fran Drescher, but, like, I can see I, I can see a version of that show that feels like The Boy or feels like yes. kind of The, the Visit or, um, you know, any of those shows where it's like, again, like, you don't know anything about this woman. She's just some lady from Queens. Um, yes. And, and, she's now, and she's now in your house. And... What is she doing there besides wearing incredible Moschino outfits? <laughs> you know, just looking great. 
For me, I would have it be the verse. She's, you know, sort of moving in, and Cece is, of course, the the jealous yes. other. Mm-hmm. Who is, Cece is absolutely a villain. Who has designs on Mr. Sheffield, and yes. will those designs lead her to kill? I think she has an inner. Oh. All right. Well, if anyone out there wants to make this, we'll write it. <laughs> we'll write it. We so, we obviously don't have the rights to it, but uh, we'll, no, you we know, don't. listen, uh, we'll work for uh, exposure. Um, mm-hmm, I eat mm-hmm, exposure. Mm-hmm. I pay my rent with exposure, so it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I pay my taxes in exposure. Um, the other legal what exposure I wanted to, for not paying. <laughs> the other uh, our uh, show I wanted to pitch was um, Home Improvement, and I was oh, looking yeah. for because I feel like it has the built-in the neighbor who's always mm-hmm. peering over the fence. I'm what is his name? I'm trying Wilson. to find it. Wilson. It's Thank Wilson. Thank you. And I feel like also that show had so many, you know, a whole garage full of tools, which, like, isn't scary in the context. I mean, it is in different ways in the context of that show. But, like, feels very saw, very torture-porny, very, you know, easily scary. And there is something about having the neighbor who's you only see his eyes. You know nothing of Mm -hmm. his life. Um, Tim doesn't really ask about his life. And you only realize— too late that he has designs on your home and it's not to improve it it's in fact to make it much worse yes I would watch that yeah I would watch all of these well thank you for that question Arden and please if you guys have other horror or movie related questions um, you can email us at ruined at the radio point dot com and we are continuing with this month it is found footage month um, which I'm really mm-hmm. enjoying as a, as a subgenre of the horror uh, milieu, and we are doing a movie not suggested by anyone, suggested by me because I love it. A Hallie pick. <laughs> I have been wanting to do this since we started, frankly, but it just yeah. it wasn't time, and finally we arrived. And I we think if you've seen this movie, if you're if someone who listens who does watch the films, I think you know what I'm talking about where um, there is a particular image from this film that I saw on the internet before I ever had seen the movie, and it made me seek out the movie to try to gain an understanding Whoa. of what the hell I'm looking at, which oh I've never done before. What What are your thoughts about that, Allison? I, horrifying? I'm horrified. Like, I'm trying to think, like, I, you know, having watched the trailer, which we'll get to, like, I'm like, I think maybe there's a taste of it in the trailer, but okay, maybe good. not. I don't, you know, it's like any, it could be anything, and that is scary. I think it was, I probably saw it as a GIF on Tumblr, if I'm mm-hmm, thinking, because mm-hmm. it came out in 2014, feel like I was still on there. Yeah, because that was a yeah, while ago. Yeah, that was kind of like the last days of Tumblr as we knew it at that time. The last hurrah. But apparently kids are now going back to Tumblr. And I, when I say kids, I do mean anyone who's younger than me. Because yes. you could sort of, you know, like uh, make it your own in a way that the, yes. some of the other platforms is difficult to do. Um, I, I will say that Tumblr still is and will always will be my favorite kind of social media platform. I know it's, like, technically a blogging platform, but, like, it really was kind of the, like, early Instagram and Twitter vibes that, like, it just, like, I enjoyed it. I liked being on it. I liked putting stuff up on it. I thought it was fun. Um, And the filmmakers behind this, direct, there was a directorial debut of Adam Robitel, who did Insidious Last Key and the uh, two escape rooms, escape room and escape room, colon, Tournament of Champions, 
And he also wrote uh, Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension. And he wrote it with Gavin, Gavin Heffernan. And this is sort of like their breakout movie. And you will see why, because it's phenomenal. And before we start um, ruining a movie Did for we see you, the name of the movie yet? Um, no, I will say it right now. Before we get into the <laughs> ruining the movie, the taking of Deborah Logan, Wee. we always like to have Allison watch the trailer. And Allison, what were your thoughts about the trailer? This one, I would put this in the top five probably scariest Ooh. trailers of movies okay. we've done. Awesome. I don't know if that will hold for, you know, the actual film itself. But tr- from a trailer perspective, like, it kind of has everything— like, it's, like, eeriness, but then also, like, jump scares, but then also, like, something that seemed seemingly gory and paranormal. Like, I feel like it had all of the thing, all of the different ways to be scared. And also, I think, like, found footage is, like, kind of made for trailers. Like, you yeah. just get these little snippets without, like, answers on what happens next. And it's like, was I even supposed to see that? Um, Absolutely. Which is very scary. Uh, We also like to take a baseline scary to sort of feel out where Allison is coming from, where she's at with the subject matter. Mm -hmm. Allison, there are two things, I think. How scary do you find the concept of Alzheimer's? Or specifically of a a parent? Yes, exactly. Incredibly. Incredibly scary, incredibly dark. Um, You know, in real life, scary for all of the reasons that um, we all know. But also in film... Very scary because it's like, it's a disease I think we also don't know as much about in real yeah. life. So, like, ap- like when, when applied to the horror world, like, you can kind of, there's a lot of room to play, unfortunately. Absolutely. And then, as a follow-up, how scared do you find the concept of snakes? Okay, well, I don't like them because they don't have legs. And how are they moving? Hmm. I don't like snakes. I would say snakes are a top five worst animal for me. Yeah. I um I think you're wrong, but I understand it. It is difficult to embrace an animal that could kill us mm-hmm. with merely a bite that is filled with venom yes. designed designed to murder. You know, designed to kill things fault. that are even bigger than us. Oh, absolutely. And it's not their fault. It's it's the way mm-hmm. that God or potentially the devil made them. But <laughs> it is you just don't want to see one unexpectedly. I had a, when I used to do stand up, I had a joke about this where I remember going on, I don't know what it was, if it was match.com or something, OkCupid. Okay mm-hmm. And this guy, you know, if anyone recalls to date myself, you know, you see the first photo and then you sort of scroll, scroll through and see the mm-hmm. person's other photos. Yes. And this guy was like, human face, human face, snake. Because no. he had a pet snake. And it was just no. like so jarring when you're expecting to see a human man's face, to see a snake's face. That I was like, I don't know who's going to reply to this. Even if they like snakes, well, I mean, they probably would reply. But you know, you just put I the guess. snake in its own folder. Bring up yeah. the snake on the front. Have you with the snake, not just right, and not also, just the snake. But I guess if you love snakes that much, let people know. You know, I mean, don't hide. Yeah, you're right a under a bushel. Convo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Much like being polyamorous, you got to tell someone on the first date. You got. I tell love snakes. I have a snake. Yes. And to be polyamorous um, and with snakes, if you find someone that you know it's meant to be. Yes, then you really need to stay with that person. <laughs> um, and then, based entirely on the trailer, Allison, would you like to guess the twist? Guess the twist. 
I mean, from the trailer, it seems like they think this woman has Alzheimer's and it's probably not Alzheimer's. She's probably possessed by what might be snakes, but definitely something evil. And that's not what's happening here. So that's my guess. She that It's not Alzheimer's. It's some kind of possession. But I'm mm-hmm. sure there's even more horror that I can't imagine. <laughs> Great. Well, you know, that's it. You're, 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 again, we've been doing this for so long now that you're really yeah. and this trailer honing your your observational powers really gives you a like the trailer really do, like I'm not just like what did I watch like with VHS right. like this is very much like here's the story and like I hope yeah. it ends well. Oh, uh, spoiler alert! It doesn't. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's begin by spoiling 2014's The Taking of Deborah Logan. We, of course, open with my favorite thing of all time, text on the screen. And the text says, the following film includes a medical documentary, outtakes, and surveillance footage from the scenes of the crime. October 12th, 2013. And also, just to flag it now, uh, the film gives us sort of like day uh, posts, like day, how many days we've been involved in these people's lives. And it, we end up around uh, 60 days. Because I do feel like we've talked about, like, some movies you don't know the time frame. Like, are we talking weeks? Yeah. Are we talking months, you know? And this is two months, pretty much exactly. So I, I appreciate yeah, that. I do really, like, I think that's something that found footage gives us, which is, like, you can really have timestamps in a way that doesn't feel unnatural. And I yes. always want to know, like, timestamps, locations. Like, I want to know everything because I'm not right. e- easy to follow. We are joining medical student Mia Hu and her documentary crew, Louise and Gavin. They are traveling to Exuma, Virginia to meet with Alzheimer's patient Deborah Logan and her daughter, Sarah. And Mia is doing her PhD thesis in the form of a documentary about Alzheimer's, which I think was very interesting where I was like, they never specifically say this, but I'm like, oh, are you specifically studying like documentary filmmaking about medical subjects? Because I got to imagine that is something that people do or, like, something you could focus on. But, like, like medical student, I'm like, well, I don't imagine all medical students are making documentaries about specific subjects. So they don't really address it, but I'm like, ooh, what a fun, cool, like, discipline she must be studying. Yes. Yeah, that is interesting. And they show up, and Sarah, uh, the daughter, you know, adult daughter, is really enthusiastic. And part of that you find out is that in order for— sort of in exchange for taking part in this documentary— Sarah and her mother, Deborah, will receive grant money. And also, um, the medical school that Mia is a student at, Roanoke, will pay for some of the medical bills. So this is, again, they're financially motivated to take part in this. So Sarah's very excited, but she's like, you know, just so you guys know, Ma can be kind of salty, but she's very excited about this. Just be sure to say please and thank you. Like, she's a very proper woman. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you just kind of have to grease the wheels a little bit. Sure. Um... And also, it's like, oh, right, she has Alzheimer's and needs so much medical care, and America does not care about sick or elderly people. So you have to be willing to have your mother filmed for a documentary in order to get treatment for her. That that tracks. Yep. Cool system. We really did it. And they uh, go around the house, and they find Deborah is out gardening. And she sort of has, like, a big yard. It's fall, so there's, like, leaves everywhere. And the, the... Yard kind of abuts to the woods. So a lot of times they're walking okay. in the trees, but they're kind of like sparse, if that makes sense. Like, it's yeah. not like a line and then suddenly you're in the woods. It's sort of like right. this. 
and obviously they're in Virginia. So it's like gorgeous, big, gorgeous uh, brick house. This is yes. Deborah's house, and Sarah has moved back in temporarily to take care of her as her mm-hmm. symptoms become worse. And um, the crews meet Deborah, and they're like, thanks so much for having us. We're very excited to film you. And Deborah is played by Jill Larson, who is phenomenal in this movie. She carries this movie. Like, she's great. And so Deborah, they do a really good job. Like, she's very, she's put together, mm-hmm. you know, dressed yeah. to the nines. She has, every, everything has its place, you know, and we see her digging near this little cherubic statue in her backyard. She has her garden. And as she's putting her tools, she's like, you know, I want this to, to do this because it's educational and I do not want to be exploited. And Mia tells her, it, you this will not be exploitative at all. My grandfather had Alzheimer's. So for me, this isn't just a grade. I really do right. want to document this and for other people to get something out of it. However— right. and she knows how to treat it respectfully yeah. and and without exploitation. Yeah. Yeah. However, unfortunately, Deborah is like, I'm having second thoughts. I think you'd better go with someone else. Like, I just don't want to do this. And she walks back to the house. Sarah, you know, like, you can see, like, the dollar bills mm-hmm. in her eyes was like, early. it's like, fuck. So she follows her mother inside, and you sort of hear them, a muted argument through the window. We sort of see them arguing about it. Meanwhile, uh, as the crew waits outside, Gavin and Louise are like, Mia, I thought your parents were on, va- or your grandparents were on vacation. And Mia's like, yeah, okay, so I lied. Okay, I lied about my grandfather oh. having Alzheimer's. What's mm. the worst that could happen? <laughs> What's the worst thing that could happen about lying about this very serious thing? Um, Nothing. Meanwhile, It'll be fine. Yeah. Meanwhile, we could hear Sarah and Deborah. They're arguing, and Sarah's like, you know, we all need a sacrifice. And Deborah's like, you're going to talk to me about sacrifice? You know, like, and this really right. intimate fight. And finally, Deborah turns and sees that they're being filmed through the, you know, house. And distance, Mia reveals yeah. to Louise and Gavin, they're behind on the house, but Deborah refuses to sell. Sarah's broke. She doesn't have that kind of money. So they're kind of underwater, and that's, like, they're very motivated, at least from Sarah's perspective, to go ahead and film mm-hmm. the conversation. And we see Sarah sort of breaking down, begging her mother to do it. Allison, one week later, the crew shows back up, and they are ready to roll. So obviously Sarah has convinced Deborah to take part in the documentary. Yeah. And Deborah shows them around. Gorgeous house. She paints for fun, you know, now that she's, you know, yes. retired. And it's, like, landscapes a lot of the woods in the back of the house, like, very beautiful, like, fall, you know, scenes. And Gavin keeps, like, futzing with everything. So, like, she'll go into a house, like, a different room, and Gavin reaches up and kind of, like, futzes with the chandelier. And she's like, D- could you just, it's very old. You don't have to touch everything as you walk around, don't you know? stuff. And they have, she has these little precious moments type figurines of children everywhere. And Gavin's like playing with them. She's like, could you just not touch my figurines? I already have Alzheimer's and now I have strangers touching all my stuff. You can imagine I'm not thrilled about this. And Also, like, um, as a documentarian, like, isn't the first rule, like, don't touch stuff and don't, like, interfere with the the world that you're entering? <laughs> yeah, I also think there is something inherently questionable about, like, if you were signing up to be a subject of a documentary and you have Alzheimer's, that's fine. But at what point are, if your uh, illness progresses and you might not be able to be giving in real time, like, informed consent about the things they're going to film, I think it's a very ethically Mm -hmm. muddy question I Especially agree. if your daughter and caregiver is, is motivated by money to allow this to happen, 
Uh, to me, it's yes. sort of like I could already see how in real life this would end up being. This is a legal nightmare. Yeah. Even if she was on board with it when we begin, we see Deborah shows him Sarah's room, and Sarah's uh, used to be a baseball player. And we this is sort of our first hint of like as we find out Sarah's a lesbian. She's sort of more masculine presenting. Like she's always wearing like men's work shirts buttoned up and jeans. And mm-hmm. Deborah clearly is like futzing with her. Like, are you wearing your father's shirts? Oh, you know, I hate that shirt. You know, like she's kind of like picking at her in a way that like is, I mean, you can see Sarah bristle. So I thought that yeah. was also like an interesting way of being like, I'm doing the right thing. I'm taking her and mother, but being back home and having her like picking me, even if she is unwell, is like, you could see how it would make you go insane as an adult. Yes. And um, Deborah shows them the, the guys are going to be staying in one room. They're going to be staying with them. So Louise and uh, Gavin are in one room. And Mia is in another. Luckily, it's the biggest fucking house you've ever seen in your life. So they got plenty of room. Plenty of attics in this house, too, which we will get oh, a good. tour of throughout the um, the entire movie. Small and you sort of see, spaces. like, yeah, like you see Deborah, like, she she just has, like, moments where, like, she'll, she'll forget the name of, like, uh, the concept of a bedroom set or something. Like, she's mm-hmm. there, she's coherent, but then she'll have these lapses, yes. you know, where she sort of can't remember what exactly they're talking about, you know, and, and you sort of see this moment where Deborah's talking to them, they talk about traveling, and Deborah says, oh, yeah, my only regret is I never went to Germany. And Sarah's like, Mom, you did go to Germany. And and she has no memory of it whatsoever. And obviously, Deborah's like, immediately very upset, you know, understandably. And we see, like, sort of ha- uh, two camera interviews with Mia, and we sort of have it interspliced as if, as if it was an actual medical documentary with, like, um, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, clips of different, like, graphic illustrations of, like, how Alzheimer's works in the brain. And she explains, you know, cool. this is uh, my—it's going to be about Alzheimer's, but it's about how um, Alzheimer's affects the family unit and how it could have physiological effects on the primary caregiver. So sort of not simply just how it affects the patient. This is something we kind of already have stuff on, but how it affects the family at large. As you can imagine, yes. not, not well. I mean, it's very difficult. No. And we also get a rundown of everything that Alzheimer's, the symptoms that it could cause you to experience. You lose your memory. You can experience hallucinations, erratic behavior, uh, rage, you know, deep sadness, like emotional Mm -hmm. swings. Um, Unfortunately, these can be symptoms of a lot of things, as the movie will show to us. So, you know, just (laughs) because something's wrong doesn't mean you can immediately attribute to Alzheimer's, but this movie tends to do it. And sort of eventually Alzheimer's, you know, it shuts down different parts of the brain. And there's one horrifying line in the um, video where they say, when swallowing goes, death is not far behind. I was like, oh, boy. You know, that's tough. That's true. And um, they have a sit-down interview with Deborah and Sarah. And again, Deborah's like, take off that. She has like a military style, like a green jacket. And she's Mm -hmm. like, take off that jacket. You know I hate when you wear that. And Sarah's like, yep, that's fine. I'll take it off right now, Mom. And Deborah really plays down her symptoms. She's like, okay, so I had a couple senior moments. You know, sometimes a toast would pop right. up and I'd press it back down. Oh, it's a big deal. And Sarah says, well, the big deal is you left the stove on multiple times. And the last time it caused a pretty severe fire. You know, like they, it was confined to the I, kitchen. Yeah. But like we see photos from like their insurance claim. You know, it melted the the backboard and that kind of stuff. And the implication is that when that happened, that's when Sarah moved back in. Because I think that was what Sarah says, right. you know, that was a clue. You can't be alone anymore. Yeah, and even Deborah's like, well, you know, my mother, your grandmother was terrifying. I mean, she would leave pots on the stove, it would burn down to nothing. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, it's genetic, you know? So like, yeah. well, if your mother, if that happened with your mother, I think we know where this is headed, unfortunately. 
Yeah, and you're just describing something that's probably undiagnosed. <laughs> and it was, but they do such a good job of being like, that's what people do. People are like, well, I don't, I'm mm-hmm. not that bad. And it's like, well, yeah, right. because you're not there yet. You know, like, yeah, right. you want it, you don't want to, uh, yeah, you don't want to necessarily admit that that's where we're headed because the experience was so terrifying. But it's also like, if you do admit yes. it, then you could get some help. Um, of course, we don't have yes. a solution to Alzheimer's. Uh, terrifying. And um, they all, the crew also sits down with Deborah's neurologist, Dr. Annalise Nazir. And she says, yeah, like basically after the fire, we had Deborah tested and, you know, we we were pretty sure, 95% sure that she has Alzheimer's. But, you know, Deborah's like a really, she's a fighter. She's very stubborn. She's someone who will like, will do everything you can to stay healthy. So like crossword puzzles, work, like lifting weights, mm-hmm. eating healthy, getting right. sleep, like doing everything so to be bodily and mentally healthy in order to have the higher quality of life that you want to have while you're dealing with this. We also find out that Deborah's husband, Dennis, died of a pulmonary embolism when Sarah was just two. So Deborah had to become the breadwinner, you know, in the 60s. And what she did is she mortgaged her house and she bought a switchboard, which I was not familiar with, but is a real thing. And uh, she essentially ran a successful— Yeah. So she ran an answering service for the town. So it's sort of like she was a cross between uh, an answering machine for everybody and, like, Mm -hmm. an executive assistant. So, like, you know, certain, you know, if you're a doctor, you have a a number on her switchboard. People could call in. She takes your messages and then gives them to you. Calls you, yeah. So pre-voicemail, pre-answering machines. And it ended up being really successful. And everybody used her, and she was able to, you know, afford to keep the house and and send um, Sarah to school. And is, like, very proud of herself that she did all this hard work. And everyone at the time was like, you're just a single lady. How can your brain handle all these numbers? <laughs> and Deborah also reveals, she's like, you know, I was also the nexus of town. So in order, in, in addition to coordinating all the professional stuff, everyone's businesses— I also found out so much hot goss. So she's like, Ooh. oh, I heard about every three martini lunches, every affair, you know, who's meeting Ugh. with who behind whose back. And she's like, I had to cover for these people. And Sarah says, we didn't have to cover for them. And Deborah's like, I kind of did or else they wouldn't have used my service. Like, yeah. that was sort of the implicit agreement is like, That's, I pay you and then if I'm discretion. calling a woman who's not my wife, uh, it's none of your business. You know, and Deborah's yeah. like, yeah, wow. look, I got, I want, I want to get paid. Yeah. I wish I had that job. That's the job I would have wanted when there were only, like, three jobs for women. Think about the things you would find out. Oh, yeah, exactly. Incredible. Yeah, I, yeah, it's like nurse. Teacher. Uh, town hot goss. Yeah. Distributor. Goss. Yes. So, sort of as B-roll, we hear Mia talking, and they follow Deborah on her day-to-day life. And, again, like, she has, like, good days and bad days. And she describes, like, that moment of, like, she's buying a plant at, like, a nursery— and she can't find her cash. And she's like, it is so distressing. And there's no words for how distressing it is when you're just in the middle of something right. and your brain is just like, I don't, yeah. I got nothing. Yeah, I don't know where it is. I don't know where I put it. And, but again, she's she's living her life. She's out. We see her talking to her um, next door neighbor, Harris, who's like a lifelong friend of the family. He's lived next door like the last 40 years, ostensibly. He's practically in tears. Like he loves Deborah, And like, mm-hmm. he, she's like, he is, she's just been incredible and she works so hard. And she is someone who like with this disease, like is going to really strive to have the best quality of life and, and do what she wants to do while dealing with this. Like, he's like, I love Deborah. I, I, <laughs> I would do anything for Deborah. Let's just say if something bad had to be happening, I would do it if she wanted me to. Um, 
And okay. uh, Lewis at one point is shooting some B-roll of Deborah like gardening, and he watches her, and she's, he sees her just pick up a snake and just sort of look at it. And right then, Mia startles him, and he he whips around, and Deborah's immediately behind him and said, would you guys like some lunch? So that's our first thing of like, well, okay. she seemed pretty casual just handling that snake that came out of nowhere. Casual snake handling is not a good sign. Um, that night, Mia is uh, taking Sarah's blood pressure, and it's sky high. And Mia says, like, you know, like, stress is really the killer. And Sarah's like, okay, I'll just stop being stressed about my mom having Alzheimer's. Big thumbs right. up. Like, okay. Right. And she jokes. She's like, don't worry. I plan on dying of cirrhosis of the liver anyways. And we have seen her sort of, like, in passing shots of her constantly drinking. And yeah. again, this is Very like— Very and just like that. <laughs> yes, exactly. If she's stressed <laughs> out, this is what we're doing. Well, suddenly, the two women hear screaming, and they run downstairs in the kitchen, and Deborah has cornered Gavin with a knife and is screaming, where is my spade? You thief, you took my spade that she was digging in the garden with. Yes. And and they're able to calm her down, but Deborah's like opening up the cabinets and throwing everything on the ground, and she's crying, and she's extremely distressed. And of course, Gavin is freaked out. Gavin like literally leaps onto the uh, counter and is like, what the hell's going on? To be fair, this woman weighs like 90 pounds soaking wet, and it, there are certain right. times of the moment where, or in the movie where I'm like, you could probably just punch her if you had to. I mean, not that you yeah. should, but, like, but you like, could probably you could. get her to bear hug and, and subdue her. Yes. Um, so Sarah's like, I'm really sorry to ask you guys this, but can you help us find her spade? It's got to be around here. So they're going all over the house, again, huge, gorgeous house. And Louise goes up into the attic, and he finds the old switchboard. So we know it's still in the house. Luckily, mm. Mia eventually finds a spade, and Deborah had put it in the freezer, you know, accidentally. Of course, yeah. And Sarah gives it to her mother, but Deborah cannot, it doesn't sort of turn and address her. She's staring out the window into the backyard. And as she turns around, she tears a huge piece of skin off the front of her neck. No. Blood gushing everywhere and collapses to the ground. Ugh. Of course, they rush her to the hospital. Dr. Nazir is there, talks to Sarah, and she's like, well, we did another brain scan, and, you know, the amyloid deposits in her brain were very pronounced. Um, we think that probably we she's a little further along than we thought, and this is a more aggressive form of Alzheimer's. So we're going to up her meds, and we're going to give her a mood stabilizer so she won't be so distraught. But unfortunately, mm -hmm. this is sort of the, the course of the— the disease. disease. This is, mm -hmm. this does happen sometimes, which again, Sarah's like, I gotta get home a drink because, like, if this is what's gonna yeah. be happening for the next My year, my mom's or ripping two, her own neck off. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the in the morning, the crew drives Sarah and Deborah home, and Deborah's like very embarrassed because she like doesn't really remember, like, that wasn't her in her right mind. And she apologizes to Gavin, and Gavin's like, Gavin's kind of like the whiny, like, oh, I gotta do this. But I mean, he's also like, the first person to be like, this seems bad. So I think, like, mm -hmm. Gavin is both a bitch and also a voice of reason in this film. And yes. so he kind of, like, okay. grumbles, but he accepts her apology. Like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, Next thing we see, we, we have, it's an interview with Harrison Aber, and he's like, put her in a home? She's already got a home. You can't put her in one of those places as where you go to die. So, you know, this is a place to live. Right. So both Harris and Deborah are like, she has to stay in the house. And Sarah is right. like... Yes, I would like that, but also I would like to sell the house. If what's going to be happening is my mother's going to be ripping her ne neck open frequently, and I don't setting have things the skills. on fire. Yeah, it's that's a lot. And then you also see this shift where like Sarah starts to like really rely on the crew, and like Mia's obviously like because she's a medical student, like wants to help and is like 
Mm-hmm. Talking right. to her about, um, you know, her mother's care and everything. We see Deborah painting again once they're home. And in one of her forest paintings, there is a dark figure standing in the woods. Great. Great. In the painting. And that night, Louise is, is again, recording B-roll. And here's Deborah talking to herself, looking to a mirror and telling herself, I told you to stay away from here. I don't know. Stop. Stop. No. And then she sees Louise peeping, kind of like backs out of the room. Oh, no. Um, Mia uses an analogy to talk about Deborah's brain. And she's like, Deborah's brain is like the switchboard. Like, it's there. But wires get unplugged, uh, crossed, like different things get plugged in. And you see these like tough scenes of like Deborah being really upset and like obstinate and like not wanting to address what's going on. But then Sarah bathing her and being kind. And also Mm -hmm. Sarah just drinking, like literally having a bottle of warm vodka on her nightstand, pouring it into a glass as she goes to bed. Like that's where we're at. But again, you're very sympathetic. It's like they don't seem to have any other family. Sarah does not equip for this is stressful. Like, this is the kind of thing that would make you kind of turn to that kind of drinking because it's very sad and very hard and very stressful. Yeah. But warm vodka, I mean, girl. I mean— At least make it whiskey. (laughs) Just at least pop some ice cubes in there, you know what I mean? Like a little soda water. So the crew films uh, Sarah. She calls her girlfriend Shelly. And Sarah admits to the crew, you know, I couldn't tell Shelly about this, but I told her I had to move home for a little while. I just couldn't get into my mother's why I had to move home. So Shelly, her longtime girlfriend, as far as we know, doesn't even know about it. So that's the other thing is like nobody's addressing what's going on. Exactly. And um, Mia, Gavin, and Louise, they join Sarah for a drink out on the porch. And Sarah tells them like Deborah sent her away to boarding school when she was 10 and she's not exactly sure why, but she thinks it's because that was the year that Deborah walked in and discovered Sarah kissing, like, whatever little school friends, Annie okay, Phelps. Yeah. And so Sarah's, like, practically in tears, remembering, like, how embarrassed her mother was. And, like, then, like, pretty soon after she was sent away. And, like, you know, this is what's so complicated, her dealing with this. And Gavin, you know, in a moment of, like, Gavin's a good guy. He offers a toast and he goes, mm-hmm. to our fucked up childhood. So they all, like, clink their glasses. <laughs> That's fun. Uh, Shelly brings them in, and she's showing them, like, her childhood photos in the living room. Like, oh, this is my dad. You know, suddenly they hear a loud thud from upstairs, and they all run upstairs except for Louise. Louise sees, you know, you assume, oh, my God, her mother's fallen upstairs or whatever. Louise sees Deborah in her nightgown sort of drift through the first floor, which is mostly dark. No. He finds her standing in the dark at that window where she kept looking out of, holding, holding a hammer in her hand. Just nope. staring into the darkness. And Mm-mm. Sarah comes in. And he's like, yeah, mom's convinced someone's been out in the yard. She got these motion sensor lights before I even got here. And Deborah starts nailing the window shut. And Sarah's okay. like, nailing the window not shut great. again, huh, mom? I've learned not to argue with her. Of course, that begs the question, Allison. If this isn't the first time that she nailed that window shut, why is the window Amazing. currently standing open? Who that keeps on doing the good- nails? Important question. Again, this woman is very elderly. Frail. Like also, like she's not someone you can imagine ripping nails out of a board. No, no. she can nail down, but getting it back up, I would not assume. Oh, yeah. my mother's been doing no. this. Right. That night, we see Louise has mounted cameras in the house for our viewing pleasure, which seems and that already like that seems like a little unethical. He has put a camera in Deborah's room. I'm like, that is crossing a line. No, you can't this you woman's do that. bedroom where she's asleep. I don't think that that should be allowed. 
No, no. But we need that for the movie. <laughs> exactly, because that's we see her. She leaps up at 1.30 a.m., gasping, distraught. The next thing you know, all the lights are on. Sarah and the crew are looking. Deborah has is fucking gone from the house. Has she been taken somewhere? Mm-hmm. They find the window, which had, we literally just saw her nail shut, has been pried open, and Deborah's robe is on the ground outside with three bloody slashes on the back. So, of course, Sarah's like, oh, my God. On the back God. of the robe. On the, on the bathrobe. Okay. So, it's like just on the ground, which also means she's lost a layer, and she's just out in, yes. in the God knows where. <laughs> so, they search the woods for her. It doesn't take them very long. And they find Deborah. She's in her nightgown, which also has, like, slashed in the back. She's stabbing the earth with her spade and just digging hole after hole and screaming and turns on them and is, like, incoherently distraught. And they're able to get her back inside. And Mia helps wash Deborah's hands, which are, like, all cut up and covered in mud and blood. And Mm -hmm. she just glares at Mia. And she says in this flat voice, Sarah never cleans her nails. She hates manicures. And Mia's like, well, we'll get your hands looking good. Don't you worry about that. Like, okay, don't want to tell you. Wash them up. Gavin shows Mia the footage that he recorded from in the house. And so bef- there was a period of time after Deborah got out of bed and before they found her out in the yard. In this footage, she Deborah is standing in the kitchen. The video blinks, and then Deborah is suddenly standing on the counter as if no. she had gotten a chair and gotten up. This is it would be as if she jumped four feet without see anyone seeing it onto the counter, yes. which we know is yes. not possible. No. Nope. So that's Gavin is like, and Mia's like, it's probably just a glitch in the video. Like, I mean, there has to be a but, reasonable explanation. <laughs> Gavin's like, but what is the reasonable explanation? Could you tell me right. what it was? We don't see her get a chair. Can you even think of one what reasonable explanation? <laughs> exactly. I, you can think of a lot of explanations. Are any of the reasonable? I don't think so. No, they are not. Um, you know, the next day, Sarah talks to Harris, and they did a lot of, I think it's very interesting, like they shoot the Harris interviews really far away. So, Mm -hmm. like, the audio is kind of fucked up, but clearly Harris does not want to be involved in the filming. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. Harris is like, this is, this filming, this documentary is clearly putting too much of a strain on your mother. She's, just give her a break. You know, like, she's already going through so much. It's wearing her down to have all these people in their house and filming her, which, in this case, he's not right, but he's not wrong. I mean, like, if this was one of my parents, I'd be like, Harris, that's a valid point. I did, but invite a bunch of um, strangers to film my mother while she's going through mental decline. Maybe she doesn't love it, you know? Yeah. But Sarah, we also see her talking to Deborah, who has no memory of any of this happening. And she's like, I'm scared for you. You were on the stove. You know how you said, you know, accidentally set it on fire before? You clawed at your own neck. And Deborah's like, I I know what you're going to say, and I'm not going to a home. I'm not leaving my house. Why don't you go back to Richmond? I know you miss your lady friend anyway, so just go ahead and leave me here. Mm. So they they sit Deborah down and she's looking peaked and like kind of out of it. And they and Mia says like, well, "How are you feeling today, Deborah?" And Deborah says, "I was feeling peculiar, but not now. Now I feel right as rain." And you're like, "Oh, girl, okay." Mm. And Mia shows Deborah their footage of her in the woods. And Deborah's like, "Why did you stop me? What what was going on?" Because she doesn't know. Right. And Deborah, you can also see this time, like, she's having a hard time, like, sort of maintaining the conversation. She's not making eye uh-huh. contact. She's really upset, like, to see this. You know, I, I it, the whole pro- whole process of, is really distressing of her, like, finding this out about herself. Yes, yes. And Sarah tells her, you were telling us not to answer the phone, that it was him. What were you referring to? And just as Mia said, maybe we should take a break. Maybe filming is, you know, we, we could let her have a Exhausting. moment if she's getting yeah. upset. 
Deborah lunges at them, knocking over the camera, screaming, and just going absolutely apeshit, and before collapsing to the ground. Of course, they got to take her back to the hospital. Obviously. And there's this awful scene where Dr. Nazir and these other doctors give her a spinal tap. Uh, and just, you literally, I mean, it's a phone. As someone spine, who lives in that world. <laughs> so you've had a, a spinal tap, right? Or I have not had a spinal tap, but everything else that you could jam in there. I mean, anything about the spine, terrifying. Mm-hmm. It's pretty awful. And, you know, uh, basically a, a couple of weeks pass. The doctors are writing a lot of tests. You know, uh, Deborah is getting more and more inexplicable symptoms. So symptoms that, didn't, that do not track to Alzheimer's. For example, example, Allison, she has a scaly rash all over her entire back, and she is starting nope. to lose more and more cognitive ability in a way that doesn't usually track with the disease. Right. And they're asking Sarah, like, is there any way she could have been exposed to, like, heavy metals? And she's like, she gardens a lot. Is that po- it could be in the soil? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they're like, well, that's possible. We're going to do a battery of tests. Also, we see Dr. Nazir giving Deborah like, a cognitive test with some, like, different shaped blocks. Like, she's fitting them into, like, a wooden mm-hmm. thing. And Deborah's really, again, she keeps scratching her skin, scratching her skin. And she's really distraught. She's like, I can't figure it out. I can't do this. And without even looking down, she just tears a huge flap of skin off her arm. As Dr. Nazir <sighs> and the nurse kind of jump on her, t- yelling at her to stop. No. A lot no. of tearing the skin off. Okay. Well, I don't like that. So Dr. Nazir gives, uh, like, a two-camera interview and says, well, we thought the rash could be contact dermatitis, but we think it, it might be an allergic reaction to the medication itself, but we're going to keep, you know, doing writing tests because when the immune system is compromised, co-infections can occur. So sort of okay. like she, her immune system is down, so it could be any number of things. I'm going to bring in some specialists from, Rich, from, from Richmond, and we're going to figure this out, I promise you. And that night, uh, Louise films Deborah playing the piano, and she turns— with a smile and just stares at the camera. Mm-mm. And she's, you know, before she was so put together, she, she clearly had done her hair, and now it's like her hair is wet and slicked back. She's like glossy-eyed, playing the piano in the dark. You don't yeah. you hate to see in it. In the dark? Know? Oh, God. I know. So sometime later, Mia Louise and Gavin are returning to the house at night, only to find Deborah is screaming like exorcist level as Sarah Harris try to restrain her and pull something out of her mouth. And the oh, thing no. in her mouth is one of her little collectibles, like the little precious figurine child oh, good. A, thing. A tiny porcelain child was in her mouth. Like, it sure no. was. And in the morning, the crew has uh, has her, uh, they start helping uh, Sarah wrap up all the figurines. And Deborah's like, I don't see why you have to do this. And Sarah says, well, Mom, because you like to eat them. So <laughs> as you can imagine, we want to get these off of the surfaces so you can't keep putting stuff in your mouth. When they go into the hallway to move some packing boxes, Allison, behind one of the boxes is a huge black snake. No. And I wrote a huge black snack. So it was not a snack of any kind. Black snakes are the scariest snakes, too. They just and look straight know, from hell. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know what kind. Like, I don't know if it's like, oh, those are ven- venomous, but they are very intimidating. And you don't like to see them I in the house. I think that they are often not. I think, like, like garden snakes are often black, and those are what would be around in the suburbs in Maryland, um, not far from Richmond. Um and they're not like super dangerous, but they are really right. scary. <laughs> yeah, they're very. I mean, they're they're gorgeous, but yeah, terrifying looking. Right. Next thing we see, Gavin speaking to camera, and he's like talking to Louise. Like, I know you're going to watch this later. He says, "I'm going to put my aunt Bonnie's cross that she gave me and put it on the window that Deborah is so interested in that keeps popping open." Mm. He goes into the room, 
And we see Sarah's put a bunch of her mother's stuff in there, sort of into storage, including a series of paintings. And he goes through them, and it's the same painting over and over again, except the dark figure in the woods is coming closer and closer to the house. And to the point mm. where the last one, the face looks like a skull. No. Also, like, are we to believe that she was painting those in real time as something was coming closer? Or, like, sometimes it get like, or is it just, like, to indicate, like, it's been getting closer over many, I many think, times? I think it means over time, but I do like the idea that she's <laughs> making essentially, like, a flip book of, like, a, a demon <laughs> approaching the house. Either way, I'm on board. Yeah. Gavin hangs across the window only to turn, and in the darkness, see Deborah standing in the dark, and she glares at him and says, you're letting all my heat out. And the window, which has been nailed shut, just flies open in front of the camera. Allison, I'm finally at the point where I want to ask you, what would you do? What would you do? Um, I would pack up all my shit and mm-hmm. get the fuck out of there. I'd be like, yeah. I recommend if I'm this documentary crew and if I'm Mia, I'm like, I think that if she's not going to leave this house, you need 24-hour care for her, and I'm not going to be covering this anymore because it feels both unethical and terrifying. (laughs) Yes, I completely agree. I guess it's sort of like if you're Sarah and Deborah, unfortunately your options are kind of limited, both financially and like, well, what do you do? Because at least at this point, we don't have enough information to be like, what the hell are we going to do to stop this? Right. So in, in a lot of ways, I do. I, I'm glad that Mia's hubris has caused her to stay and try to help. Yes, I think that's nice. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt at 3 a.m. at all hours of the day. Really, what people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. While no one knows what tomorrow may bring, Bridgestone is working toward a more positive outlook. With innovations like developing a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials. It's just one of the many ways Bridgestone is making a difference today for generations to come. Because that's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. So in the morning, Gavin shows Mia the footage, you know, of the window flying open. She's like, what's so what? I mean, it's an old house. It's probably built, you know, the frames bent yeah. or something. So give it some reasonable explanation. And she says, if you can't handle a sick old woman going through this, like, just say so. Okay, I, just be honest with me. And Gavin and Louise are like, no, no, we'll stay. But we want twice our rate if we're going to stay here. Mm. And Mia kind of like scoffs at them. But they end up staying. So I guess she ponied up the dough. All right. Well, somebody got some cash together. Yeah, we see um, Sarah putting Deborah to bed that evening. And she stays in bed until 2.30 a.m. At what point Deborah's up and about? She's wandering around. She's wandering upstairs to the attic. And Allison, as she walks, she drops all of her clothes till she is butt-ass naked. Mm -hmm. And everyone wakes up to hear an insanely loud ringing sound. And Sarah says, sorry, that's the switchboard. And they see the door slam, and they eventually follow, you know, Deborah up to the attic. And the attic is just a fucking nightmare. I mean, everyone's attic looks normal, like normally horrible. But this is like, there's stuff hanging from the ceiling. 
but in a way where it's like she's a hoarder rather than yeah right this is like a kill pit or something you know what I mean like right. she just has yes. a bunch it's of just junk like up there's there. a lot of it's a lot of stuff but it's not necessarily stuff that makes you be like what's happening here it's just like yeah. oh, it's like ladies stuff yeah what does make you say what's happening here is that Deborah is sitting at the switchboard butt ass naked. And they also find a big chunk of skin on the stairs that she must have ripped off. And Deborah starts screaming in this demonic, like, deep man's voice, exorcist style. And she's screaming in French, and she keeps slamming the same outlet. I don't even call what do you call them, but the same switch. Switch. (laughs) into the exact same hole in the switchboard over and over again until the thing shorts out and sparks fly out. And they're all oh, screaming. Good. They call Dr. Nazir. I'm like, I just, I hope this woman doesn't even have any other patients because this is taking up a lot of her time. Yeah, also just, like, leave her at the hospital. Like, I, leave leave Deborah at the hospital. Like, they should not be discharging Deborah from the hospital anymore. Yeah, and it is a hard time. It'd be like, if, your pa- if when your parent gets to the point where they, they might not be able to make yes. decisions for themselves— you have to put them in the best possible situation for mm-hmm. their safety and their health and their peace yes. of mind. And butt-ass naked jamming something into a still electrified switchboard does not seem Until it like explodes. Yeah. So they call Dr. Nazir, and me and Sarah get Deborah back into bed. And Deborah is, like, hyperventilating, and Sarah's holding her again. Like, she is now the mother, and Deborah is a child. And Deborah's extremely distraught. And eventually, Dr. Nazir gets there. They're able to calm her down. And Dr. Nazir's like, physically, she's totally fine. Mentally, she's obviously not. But this, again, right. is not unusual. She's taken off her clothes. She's, you know, wandering. The switchboard, I mean, that was her career for a long time. So the fact that she was, like, trying to use it again. It, again, like, she's fine. She's just mentally very distressed. And yes. so uh, Sarah gives uh, Dr. Nazir gives Sarah sort of a um, a little packet of syringes and a what she describes as a fact a, fast acting sedative. So she's like okay. if this happens again and she's really distraught and you cannot get her to come back down or you know something like that sedate her call me this it's it will dissipate very quickly but at least she'll be sedated for a minute a little while yeah which is another thing it's like oh god i got to sedate my mother now you know what i mean like it's I just know, a whole lot of yeah Hard. However, Sarah do- shows Dr. Nazir the switchboard and tells her, I could see the number she kept, like, trying to dial over and over again, and it was 337. And did, Dr. Okay. Nazir says, ask her about it. You know, like, she might be trying to rem- remember something, something distressing. Okay, yeah. And Sarah says, if I do this, will it bring her some kind of peace? And Dr. Nazir's like, bitch, I don't know. Like, no one We knows. don't know. I mean, like, she's distressed. Try to talk to her about it, see if it helps. You know, that's all I could say. The next day, Gavin is isolating these screaming demonic French that Deborah was howling in the attic. And he Great. translates it online. And Allison, and I have some bad news. Mm. It says, the eternal serpent will free you, child. Nope. Be my fifth. I will wash you in the river. Your blood will feed the river. And then something no. about a stamp mill. And Sarah's like, mom doesn't even fucking know French. What am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. Like, God damn it. Uh, and the next day, you know, from a distance again, we see Sarah talking to Harris, and he's like, these people are exploiting you. This is what's making Deborah act crazy and think crazy things. And Sarah's like, I heard my mother scream in French. They couldn't have done that. You know what I mean? Like, they, that actually happened, Harris. 
And so yes. now they're kind of at odds, like arguing with one another. And Harris says, if you guys need money, I will sell my Subaru or I'll sell the tractor. Like, get rid of them or I will. And Sarah's like, oh. Harris? And Harris storms away. Okay. Well, getting more of a read on Harris. Yeah. So, yeah, Harris is very invested in Deborah staying in the home and the camera crew leaving. So that yes. night, Sarah is searching for her mother's switchboard records and find, it's opening like a new sort of closety area. And Gavin says, damn, how many addicts do you people have? Which I thought was very <laughs> funny because it does seem like they have a million. And But when they find her records, Allison, she has every number meticulously cataloged, number, dates, you know, everything, names. The page for three, 337 is completely gone. It's been torn out. Louise, who is a genius, gets some charcoal from uh, Deborah's art supplies and is able to okay. sort of like, you know the thing where you there's like an impression on the paper under it? Yes. So he's yes, able to use yes. the charcoal to get the name. Oh, and the wow. name of the person is H. Desjardins, who we find out is Henri Desjardins, who is a, so a French-Canadian man. Mm-hmm. who is a pediatrician. And Sarah's like, well, I'm surprised you guys, I, I'm shocked it's him, and I'm surprised you guys haven't heard of him. Allison, he was a local pediatrician who was believed to have killed four local girls before going missing in the early 1970s. And Sarah's like, yeah, there was even a documentary. If this was now, everyone would have seen this documentary. Everybody would have known. Like, yeah, we know about this. Yes. And the name of the documentary is Unsolved America, colon, The River Rouge. And we find out that four girls were murdered. Oh, I don't like that. The teen girls were each found with serpentine carvings on their foreheads. Parts of their bodies had been cannibalized, and traces of rattlesnake venom were found in their blood. Ooh, so much yes. snake stuff. All snake stuff. It's and an so expert, much snake stuff. An expert tells us whoever did this was reenacting a very specific Monacan blood ritual because it all has to tie right. back to Native right. Americans and, like, their Always. mythology. And he says, by killing them in the Monacan mine system, which has been built over caves that are sacred to Native American people, and they feed directly into the River Rouge. And another gross detail, the girls were sacrificed during their first menstruation. They were called oh bl- uh, bloody flo- bleeding flowers— and their blo- the blood of their estrus is offered to the demon in exchange for immortality. Mm, but not this for them. Like, immortality for someone else. Sacrificing yes, for the person them. who is sacrificing five of them. So I'll just still never understand this, you know, long history of people wanting to be immortal. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And also immortality at, at the the price of which is not simply you have to murder five pubescent girls. But you have to ostensibly offer your soul to a demon of some sort. Like, you can't imagine you're going to get away scot-free. Like, you'll be alive forever, but, like, you'll be torturous eventually, you know? You're not going to have, like, a super chill life where you're like, oh, I get to just, like, hang out and do whatever I want. Also, you would have to work the whole time, so. Right, you you live. You You can't retire and live forever. You think you're going to date? Are you going to meet people, hang out and friends? What are you talking about? Get out of here. Agreed. So uh, these four girls, little girls, are killed. Uh, Desjardins, he was interviewed but never arrested. He goes missing. Mm. And then weeks or months later, a paper boy stops by and reports a smell from his house. And they discover hundreds of snakes that he was keeping and I guess had died because they weren't being fed. Um, uh, Monacan totems. (laughs) 
books, and then just the, the phrase books on rituals. I'm like, there you have it. Books on rituals, babies. That's all I need to hear. Okay. A book that's on a ritual. All I need that's to how hear. we did it. Pretty much that's all it. the evidence to, for them to say, oh my God, he must have been the killer. However, and they think it was Sam also because um, he had Lou Gehrig's disease. And mm-hmm. he was dying. So they think this was like a, a delusional last-ditch effort to gain immortality, knowing that he mm-hmm. himself was dying. Allison, okay. the ritual required five murders, and he disappeared after only four. And most people are like, well, either he fled back to Quebec or he killed himself. And I'm like, well, Quebec has police. You could call them, but— Right, yeah. It's not just like, guess we can't do anything. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, at breakfast, Sarah asked Deborah about um, Desjardins, and Deborah, who is again kind of recovering, she's had a very traumatic last couple of weeks. Is like yeah. the name sounds familiar. I think he was a client of mine. I I don't remember. And then Sarah says, "Well, yeah, he went missing. I mean, years ago." Deborah says, "No, he didn't go missing. He's dead." And Sarah said, "Well, how do you know that?" And Deborah just growls, "Murdered." So you okay. know well, that Sarah's like, "You know oh, something." Fuck. Exactly. Allison, Deborah just at that moment stands up, runs to the bathroom to vomit out what which must looks like pounds of dirt and worms. Like she's vomiting earth. Ugh. Back in the hospital, a new doctor <laughs> and expert, Dr. Kevin Letter, he says he thinks that Deborah's Alzheimer's is causing her to have split personality disorder. And in my mind, like, I thought, I, I, in my mind, in 2014, we were already calling it disassociative identity, identity disorder. But mm. I guess he calls it split personality. I'm like, that seems like of a different era. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, a doctor. I mean, 2014 was a while ago at this point, And 2014 means they made it in 2013. Right. I mean, that's almost 10 years ago. We've evolved a lot, you know, in terms of our, like, mental health language. Yeah, so I think it's like she, the the effects of Alzheimer's is causing her to have this, um, expressing this mental illness as she continues to have um, this mental decline. And Sarah's like, well, what the hell do I do about that? You know, like, okay. They're and? like, get another documentary crew in here to take a look at that problem. <laughs> yeah, she's like, bitch, she was eating dirt. That's what I, I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter. At a certain point, diagnose her with whatever you want. How are we going to treat her? And so she's not eating dirt. You know, and they're like, yeah, we're not sure about that. Just then, Harris, the neighbor, bursts into Deborah's hospital room, and he's kind of hauled away from by security because he's so distraught and he's trying to get to her. So it's like yeah. another weird thing of like, what is he trying to tell her? What is he trying to do? Louise puts a camera in Deborah's Deborah's hospital room, which I think Come is on. both violating both Deborah's personal rights as a patient, but I can't imagine the hospital would be okay with that. You, you're no. filming an elderly Alzheimer's patient who's here because she might have disassociative identity disorder. No, you cannot That's put a cam on her and monitor. What are you talking about? Incredibly illegal. Right, but luckily nobody asked that, so we get to see what No, happens. nobody cares. Back at the house, Sarah's arguing with Harris over the phone, and Harris is like, Deborah didn't even know Desjardins. There's no possible way, you know, like, she couldn't have known him or known about it, you know. And Sarah's like, she worked for him. We already—I saw it already. I don't know why you're acting like this. That evening, they kind of take Sarah aside. They're like, okay, we have two theories. Either Harris is being shady to protect your mother, like she knows something, she did something, or Harris is acting shady to protect himself, and they're able to look online, and Harris was brought in for questioning twice after mm, being spotted outside Desjardins' house. But this was after Desjardins disappeared. So Mia's theory is maybe Harris find out that, find out that Desjardins was the killer, kills him, 
And then Deborah helped him cover it up. And all of these things are starting to come up for Deborah because of her Alzheimer's. So she does have this guilt about covering up this murder. And this person was a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. But, right. you know, the Alzheimer's, she's, she's experiencing all this distress because of this yes. secret that you, you've held on to. And Sarah's like, can we order some food before we get into this? <laughs> Which, again, it's a lot of like moments of, like, that is what you'd actually need to do. Like You would be like, we, I need, like— pizza, and then maybe we can start sorting through my mother's history of repression over crimes and her own. Right, Like, yeah. it's just so much. If we're going to talk about how my mother helped cover up the murder of a child serial killer, I'm going to need to have a, some pad thai at the very least. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, also, they didn't even thai. get to fucking get, you know what I mean, either a burrito, a, because <laughs> a huge gunshot rings out outside the house, and then another. Oh, good. Great. Somebody is just fucking firing into the mm-hmm. crew's van, and it is Harris, good. and he's wasted. Of course. And he's trying to basically drive them off. And they all shut the lights off, and they're, like, screaming at him, like, Harris, stop! And Gavin screams, that's my mom's minivan, you cocksucker! <laughs> like, he's <laughs> so upset. And just then, Sheriff Linda Tweedy, uh, Linda Tweed rolls up and finds Harris, who's drunk and laughing, and I don't think, like, I need to tell you, Harris is white, and so is the sheriff. So the sheriff kind of, like, just carries him <laughs> to her cruiser and puts him yeah. back, and he's totally fine. That's and then right. talks to Sarah about her mother. Frictionless and it, arrest. <laughs> it feels like the sheriff and um, Sarah are kind of flirting. And there is this oh. moment later where Linda's, like, says, like, we've known each other a long time. So I think we're supposed to think, like, they used to date or, you know, yeah. something. they had something going on. And, you know, now the sheriff is like, if you need any kind of help with your mother, and she's like, yeah, I do, but, like, I don't know why. Like, can you help my mother not eat dirt? Like, it's like, thank you for doing that, but the help you can provide, I don't know what that would be, you know? Yeah, there's no way to even articulate your needs at that point. You're like, make this all go away? I mean, there's just not— I can't ask you to, like, hey, could you stop at the pharmacy? Like, that's not really going to solve any problems. Yeah, could you stop and um, go back in time and stop my mother from helping someone kill a serial killer? (laughs) <laughs> who also was dabbling in the dark arts. Um, <laughs> in the morning, we find out, so, like, Harris basically shot out all, shot out all the windows in the, in the van, and Gavin quits. And Mia's like, is this about the van? Like, I said I'd pay you for the windows. And Gavin's like, it is not about the van. That bitch levitated onto the counter. There is something going on in this house. So, yes, the van sucked. <laughs> and the fact that somebody was shooting at us sucked. But there is something else much more dire. And much just because you don't believe in it, I believe in it, and I am leaving. And it's like, Gavin, you were the smart one after all. Yes. Yes, he was. So while Gavin was extremely whiny, he was right to get the fuck out. And it's good that he left when he did. In the morning, yes. Louise and Mia come to the hospital, and Deborah is gone from her hospital bed. Not only good. that, Allison, we see security footage, and Deborah has led a, a little girl, a nine-year-old named Kara, who is there no. to get chemo out oh, of God. her hospital room and into the abandoned wing of the hospital. And I just had another thing to talk about in America— and this is true of every Scream movie where they have to go to the hospital. What is with these abandoned hospital wings? It is a right. crime against all victims of killers and demons in yes. our society. That they have yes. to be put in hospitals with an abandoned, terrifying wing. Right. You've already, you've already suffered some kind of horrific, violent events. And you were luckily taken to the hospital where you're supposed to feel safe. And also, here's a wing of formal... 
like <laughs> former mentally ill people and 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 criminals that they put in a hospital because we didn't have the understanding of what was going on. Like it's just like oh, and like also no one's there, and we didn't right. get rid of it, and we didn't lock it off. It's just there. Exactly. So that that is our rant. Please, if you if you involved in a hospital, if you work at a hospital, let's figure out what can we do yeah. to upgrade the solution. abandoned wings. What could yes. we turn that into? Uh, Airbnbs? Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, oh, oh, we work. What, what do we got to do? Yes. So the crew, the security guards, and Doctor Nazir go to check out the darkened abandoned wing, and they luckily they find Deborah and the little girl whose like hair is falling out because of chemo. They're right. standing facing a wall, and thankfully, Dr. Nazir is able to approach and, is, like, leads Kara, the kid, away before the orderly restrains Deborah and chains her to yes. her bed. And Deborah well, is, like, I mean, snarling. At this point. Yeah. Thank God that they were able to right. restrain them without anyone being badly injured or killed. Yes. Like, this is best-case scenario. That's—I mean, people should have been maybe have one person in the hallway, like, watching so, like, this kind of stuff doesn't happen. Just, like, a guard— Right, it's like because then it implies like, cause so could someone just wa- water to take any of the child patients? Like, is anyone watching that wing, or like she was just able right. to go in there and like take one of them? That's yeah. This hospital, I would leave a bad. I don't even know like WebMD. I don't even know you review hospitals, but I'd leave a bad review. Yeah. And while they're chaining um, Deborah, Deborah to her bed, she's snarling and sobbing and she's screaming in French. It's like exorcist level, like distraught. Right. And so the next day, the crew films Sarah talking to a priest. And the priest is like, I can bless your mother with oils, pray over her, make her feel better. But actual exorcism is in the realm of science fiction, which I thought was a funny way to phrase that. It's like science yeah. fiction. That's what, like, it's like, if anything, it's science the opposite of that. Fiction? Yeah, right. And he's like, plus, I don't do them. Like, it doesn't work like that. I can't just do that. And Sarah's like, I didn't believe in things like that either. But something else is going on. This is not Alzheimer's disease. I've read a couple studies. And it's like, yes, we. anyone who's not insane could look at this and be like, yes, this is more than just your average run-of-the-mill um, neurological illness. They also see um, Harris visiting, and he's been visiting repeatedly for the past couple of days. And like Deborah, obviously, like takes a lot from his visits. And they, when he's there, she's sort of more coherent. Mm-hmm. Mia calls up the expert from the River Rouge documentary. His name is Doctor Ertz Schiffel, and he's a professor of anthropology. And he agrees to sit down with her and Sarah okay. to discuss the the connection between Desjardins and these sort of these occult attempted at immortality. So Dr. Schiffer says, the most logical explanation is your mother in her distress has become obsessed with this very public, very terrifying figure and, you know, experiencing these other problems and she sort of fixated and reenacting, you know, what what he did. Mm-hmm. And Sarah says, mm-hmm. with all due respect, it's more than that. Which I think, again, yes, everyone's is. playing it like so funny and so perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> and, doc, and like the second she gives any pushback, he's like, well, now that you mention it, the concept of spiritual parasites has existed in many thousands of cultures forever. And it's like, well, it's convenient, isn't it? Oh. The second it's like, what about that? that he's like, maybe it's this other thing that fits perfectly and explains everything. <laughs> and he tells her The belief is that a weak mind is susceptible to the invasion of vengeful entities seeking a host. The young, and the very old are most vulnerable, as well as the infirm. Which again, I'm like, oh boy, like the people who need the most help, they also got to deal know. with this vengeful entities. And he tells her a story, which is like perfect horror movie, like professor way to start a story. He says, while living among the Bantu, and it's like, okay, <laughs> all right. So he, but they, he tells them, I was I saw a young mother, 
and she was so destroyed by the loss of her son to typhoid, she fell into a madness, and she refused to let go of his body for two months. And she took on his personality, his voice. She kind of became his her son. And, and Sarah's like, well, what did, what did you do? And he said, well, it took two months until the spell was broken. And mm-hmm. it only was broken when a witch doctor, witch doctor came and burned the boy's body. You know, the flames purifying, turning to ash, sort of releasing the spirit. And in and, and a more symbolic thing, if you don't believe in that, releasing the mother, you know, allowing her to sure. sort of move on and grieve. Which brings me to the question, Allison, and who do you think will survive this film? survive. Ooh, it feels like no one. Um, <laughs> but... Great. I mean, Gavin, I guess, is already gone, probably. Yes, so. Gavin, Gavin got out while the get was good. It okay, was very So smart. Gavin's gonna survive. I think... I hope Sarah survives mm-hmm. and can, like, move on after Deborah dies and hopefully Harris dies. Um, and I think that somebody else from the documentary crew is not going to make it. But maybe yeah. some, so either maybe like Mia survives and Louise. Who's the other person? Louise. Louise died. Yeah. Okay, great. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Allison Harris sneaks his sneaky little ass back into the hospital and into Deborah's room, and he unties her. And he holds her hand, and he tells her, we don't... But he tells her, we don't have to do this. Debbie, we don't have to do this. But she takes his head in her hand, and Deborah whispers, kill me. Allison, Harris takes a pillow and puts it over Deborah's face and starts suffocating her. And he's a real friend. She did ask him to do yeah. it. She asked, and he's doing it. And Deborah starts to struggle, and as she does, the entire room starts shaking until the TV flies out the wall and slams into the back of Harris's head, stopping him, of course. Of course. And... Sarah gets the call. Uh, essentially, Dr. Nazir called her. And Sarah runs up and along with the crew. And Sarah runs over to Harris and she says, Dad. And she tells the nurse, I'm his daughter. <gasps> and Twist. I think what we're supposed to think is that I, I don't know whether she means this literally. I took it as he is actually her father. And she knows that because he's like their neighbor. I mean, it's sort of like the days before you would ever tell anybody, oh, by the way, I cheated on my husband. And also mm-hmm. then my husband passed away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes she sense. She could also just be saying it, like, to be able to see him. But she does, she says it in a way that's so familiar. It doesn't feel like, to me, like, a we're lie. supposed to think it's fake. Right. 
Yeah. So I think she's saying, like, I really am his daughter, and that's why, you know, they're— This my is parents, such a fucking They've mess. been so close. There's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're rushing Harrison to surgery. He's still alive, but he's able to talk a little bit before they— take, I don't even know, like, the TV's in the back of his head. I have no idea what surgery he's getting. But he tells her— <laughs> <De-televisioning>. <laughs> —that her mother had heard Desjardins on the switchboard back in the you know, early 70s, mm-hmm. and that Sarah was going to be his fifth victim— and he says, the cave. And Sarah tells him, you killed Desjardins, right? And Harris tells her, it was your mother. She, okay. I don't know if she stabbed, I think she stabbed him in the neck. She, and he tells her, Good. we buried him alive. And Sarah okay. says, well, where? And Harris croaks out the backyard, the statue. Oh, my God. So the little Cuban statue. So this right. serial killer has been in, which also explains why um, uh, Deborah didn't want to move. Is yes. there's a serial killer's body buried in her backyard? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And so Sarah leads immediately runs home with the crew, and they go into the, Deborah's backyard because she's thinking, okay, if what the experts said was right, we find the body, we burn it, hopefully release the spirit, release it from my mother. Okay, it's worth mm-hmm. a shot. And Sarah's frantically digging, and me and Louise sort of switch between like helping her dig and being like, let's stop. This I think maybe we're we've gone a little too far. Then this isn't literally true. You know, it seems like let's talk this out. And eventually, Sarah hits something, but it's not a body. It's Deborah's spade, which means her spade was already down there. She's like Deborah must right. have already dug up the body recently. So right. she runs into the house to look for it. I'm thinking this woman has Alzheimer's and also weighs ninety pounds. You would have noticed if she was trying to put a skeleton in a bag to take it in the house. Yeah, right. Yes. And Mia, again, they're helping uh, Sarah, like, look in her house, like, running around. Like, she's freaking out, thinking the body has to be in here. And they're like, well, we're pretty broken down, so we're looking for, like, a skeleton. But also, let's stop. Let's stop. Things have gone too far. Just yeah. as we're about to give out, give up, Sarah points to a wet stain in the ceiling, like, directly below the attic. And she said, it hasn't rained in a while. And so she pulls down the attic door, and Louise says, a third goddamn attic. White people <laughs> in their basements of the attics. And so they go up there, and the attic is filled with, like, a clear slime, and it's oh, oh smells clear horrible. slime? Cool. You know, like, one of those clear slimes? Oh, like a clear slime? Sarah finds a heavy burlap bag, and no. inside is the rotting skeleton of Henri Desjardins. And so Sarah hauls it downstairs, and she thanks me and Louise, like, thank you for this. And thinking, of course, we're going to burn this body, we're going to release my mother. They throw it into the fireplace, and when they do, Fire. all of these— gigantic black snakes start flowing out of the bag. They're screaming. They're throwing the corpse in the fireplace. Nope. Nope. They're struggling to have it burn. And finally, when they douse it with, uh, you know, like, um, lighter Lighter fluid, fluid. not only does it catch fire, the fire explodes through the fireplace and then immediately snuffs out. And so it sends them running outside and they're like, oh, it it snuffed its own fire. Again, a bad sign. And when they turn to look back inside the house, Henri Desjardins is standing at the window for just for a minute. <gasps> just then, Allison, Sarah gets a call. Deborah has broken her restraints and is has. out of the hospital. She's on, she's on the fancy go. free. She's on the go. So Sarah takes the bag and goes back inside, puts the corpse back in the bag, and puts it in a backpack and carries it with them. Being like, we, I, we're going to the hospital, but then we're going to burn this corpse, and I'm bringing it with us. Which I thought was very smart, because you don't want to have to make another trip. Bring no, the it's corpse true. with you, and it just feels, right there. Yeah, it's like that we're not in, you know, a couple blocks radius. You're making some drives. 
You don't yes. want to have to. Also, like, you, then you can stop and do it wherever and not, like, on your property. <laughs> exactly. They get to the hospital, Allison. Her mother is gone. There are chunks of layers of skin sloughed off on her mother's bed. Don't love that. However, everyone is in a tizzy because the security guard downstairs has gone into anaphylactic shock and he needs to be treated. And Sarah yells, for what? And Dr. Nazir said, for snake venom. Oh, okay. And as if that wasn't bad enough, the little girl, Kara, that Deborah tried to make off with before, she's gone too. And we see a security tape <sighs> of a guard trying to stop Deborah and leading Kara out of the hospital. And she bites him on the, the security guard in the neck, and he collapses to the ground. So now Deborah, unfortunately, has so rattlesnake powers. She okay, is snake. Great. She is snake. Sheriff Tweed shows up and tells Sarah, you know, a 2004 Corolla was stolen, which is kind of funny to be like, oh, I need to know the, the year of the car my snake mother right. has stolen. Like, okay. <laughs> Just like, say we're going to find her. Yeah, we're going to find her. We've set up like a, a five kilometer, she keeps like a five mile perimeter. And it's like, who cares? You know, and and I, get my snake Sarah, mom back here. And Sarah tells her, I think I know where she's going. If she's not going back to the house, which we don't believe she is, then she's going to the caves under the uh, Monacan Mill, uh, like the stamp mill that was mentioned earlier. She's going into the caves, which were, again, in a very vague sense, uh, sacred to the Native Americans, you know what I yes. mean? Uh, you know, with their contract, sure. snake demon gods, you know. And so the sheriff says, you know, we're going to find her, you know. And Sarah's like, you're not getting it. Like, my mom is a yeah. snake demon guy now. Like, you could set up a million-mile perimeter. She has some sort of insane powers now. Right. How are you, are you going to pull her over and then, like, handcuff her and bring her right. in? Like, no, we're beyond, we're so far beyond that. Yeah, she's, a, again, an elderly woman who ripped her, her restraints. Well, she's already yes. done it. So Sarah and the crew leap into their car, and they drive to the mill. And Mia's readying. Luckily, again, Sarah packed well. She's got the corpse, and she's also got the container of um, syringes of sedatives that Dr. Nazir gave them. So, like, mm -hmm. if we could show up right. and sedate your mother, that will give us enough time to, like, get her out of there and, like, figure out what to do. And they end up teaming. They, they, they reach a point in the road they can't drive Pass. So the sheriff and another deputy pick them up, and they're all in the same SUV going up the fire trail up to the caves at the mill. And luckily, they get there, and Deborah is outside of it with Kara, and they kind mm -hmm. of all approach her, and they're like, everything's cool. And Kara, the child, is in a fugue state, and she keeps saying, don't hurt him. He's a nice man. He's going to wash me in the river. And it's like, oh, girl. Again, you oh, have to have cancer, and now you're being— uh, kidnapped for some sort of occult it's just not right. mortality <laughs> ritual. And just as they sort of, they, 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 they round Deborah and we see her that she has all these like dark veins like crawling at the bottom of her face mm -hmm. and which is also covered in blood. Yeah, They're able to get handcuffs on her before Deborah turns and spits venom into the sheriff's deputy's face burning him and all hell breaks loose. Deborah is able to make off with Kara and the sheriff says, someone has to drive the cop down the mountain. And Mia tells Louise, that's got to be you. Which And Louise is like, you're crazy to go with them. If I was Louise, I'd be like, thanks. I will absolutely drive away now. Good yes. luck in that cave with the snake lady. So Louise, again, he is safe. He is taking the sheriff's deputy to go get help. And he is, God bless him, out of the film. So we've got Mia, we've got the yeah. sheriff, we've okay, got Sarah. Go. And they are chasing down Deborah and Kara. 
And they follow them past, we see the river, and Mia says, oh my God, it's the River Rouge from the documentary. Girl, we get it. You don't have to explain it. We we see one river we know we're referring to. And they're about to go in the mill, and the sheriff's like, you guys stay here. I'm going to go find them. And we can hear the sheriff calling for Kara and Deborah, like, where are you? And again, it's an abandoned mill, so there's no one else there. And Mia finally confesses to Sarah, I lied to you about my grandfather. He didn't have Alzheimer's. He's just out here doing great, having a good time. And well, Sarah says, this is I what don't you get, give Mia. a shit. Sarah's right. like, I don't give a shit. We're here now. Like, you showed yeah. up. You're in like, this, so. Yeah, sorry. Just then, a shotgun blast blows out one of the windows of the mill, and the sheriff stops calling out to Kara. They run in, and, and, and Sarah and me are screaming. And at this point, the only light they have is the light on the camera. So it's a lot of, like, shaky right. Sarah and Amir yes. handing it off to one another. And they're rounding corners. And you keep and mm-hmm. with every corner, you're mm-hmm. just, like, terrified that there's going to be, again, yes. a snake lady there. Yeah. They find the sheriff's dead body lying Obviously. next to a snake. <sighs> and they hear Kara screaming and calling to them. So they have to go down into the mine under the mill. Mia, I think, again, does a good job. She's freaking out and screaming and crying. And now the camera light keeps shorting out. So they keep having to switch to, like, night vision, and the light comes back on, like they're able to film. And they hear Kara screaming, not simply in the mine, but in a crevasse. So they have to crawl through a crevasse filled with black snakes lunging at them. No, Like, Mia is sobbing. No, no, no. And they're shimmying through until they finally get into, like, a slightly bigger room. And Sarah, God bless her, she's like, we're going to do this. She's crawling through this narrow passage. Do what? Pulling her backpack. I know exactly. I'm like, shoot your mother and kill her. What's the plan? Like, like, yeah, be trapped underground in a cave with your mother who is now a massive snake snake monster. Yeah. So, but Sarah's plan is, I'm going to grab Deborah with a sedative. You grab Kara and we're going to burn the remains, okay, as soon as we grab them. Also, shut off the light of the camera so my mom can't see where we are. Couldn't be me. I'd be like, I'm okay. I'm gonna head out. Good luck with this. Good I'm not luck gonna with be this. In, I've seen you this, this far. In night vision. And finally, they are able to. They find Deborah and Kara again. This is a night vision. And but just when Sarah is about to stab Deborah with the sedative, Deborah whirls around. She has jet black eyes now. No. And so does Kara. They're both screaming, and Deborah attacks no. her daughter. In addition to Mia, like. They're they're brawling, and Sarah's able to fight her mother off. But unfortunately, Deborah grabs Kara and is able to go further into the mine. And they keep oh. having to follow her until finally Sarah puts down her backpack, and she realizes she reveals she has a gun. And Sandy is basically like, "Good. If I have to shoot my mom down here, I'm gonna have to shoot my mom down here." Yeah. Which Mia did not know that she had a gun. But also at this point, you're like, "Yeah, I don't know what you're gonna do." It, if sure. Your mom's I mean, saying. right. Allison, they follow them, and you hear this wet sucking sound, like this very wet sound. And luckily, the camera is on, and they're, Mia's trailing behind Sarah, and Sarah rounds a corner, and then we see the image I saw that made me want to watch this movie. Deborah's jaw has unhinged no. into like a giant snake jaw, and she is swallowing Kara head first. So the girl no. is standing up, and Deborah's like grabbing her arms like upright. And Deborah just has this giant snake mouth that is consuming Kara whole. Even worse, as me and no. Sarah like round the corner, Deborah's eyes flick over to them, which is like somehow more disgusting than if she didn't acknowledge them. Yeah, it's really it's what anim, when animals do that. You're like, don't look at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> don't How look dare at me. You? Allison, she continues to just 
wetly mm. consume this little girl's head until she swallows her entire head. <laughs> Luckily, Sarah has gotten over a shock and just fucking fires into the air, and Deborah Good. regurgitates yeah. the girl's head, thank God, still attached to her body. Good. Okay. And the girl starts screaming. This and now Deborah's screaming this god awful like monster scream. And we see this long protracted snake mouth, completely fangs and a forked tongue, and she's like screaming at them. Mm. And Sarah starts yelling, "Fight him, mom! Fight him!" Because her thing is, if Dejardine's in in her body or taking over her mother's body, her mother mm-hmm. is still in there, and somewhere. Right. And so she's screaming, sure. "It's Sarah! It's Sarah! It's Sarah. Deborah!" Screams. And then she says, Sarah, and has a look of recognition. She is fighting him off. And Sarah's okay. able to run over and sedate her, but Deborah just laughs this, like, inhuman, demonic laugh. Finally, mm-hmm. from her backpack, Sarah reveals that she has brought Dangerzine's body, and she sets it alight. And Mila's like, we already tried this. It didn't work. It wouldn't burn. And Sarah says, but we didn't try it here, right, Ma? And the body immediately goes up in flames, now that we're in the mines. Great. And we hear, right. like, a man's voice chanting, and when the fire goes out— oh, good. We hear Deborah's normal voice calling for Sarah. Deborah is beat to hell. Again, she's I mean, probably, obviously. She, but she is alive. She's in bad shape. Alice, the next thing we see is a news report about the rescue of cancer patient Kara Minetti. So I think the idea is like this is a couple months later. Yeah. And the death of the sheriff. And oh. Deborah was deemed med- medically unfit to stand trial for Kara's kidnapping and the and the murder of the sheriff. That's, Nobody ever, okay. like, addresses all the crazy stuff that happened, like the snake venom yeah. and stuff. But we do see Dr. Nazir helping um, Deborah as she's leaving the courthouse. And the news says, these last few months, Deborah's condition has deteriorated, leaving her barely able to speak to or communicate. And the last shot is at Kara's 10th birthday party. Her family's mm. celebrating, and she's finally cancer-free. And the reporter wow. asks Kara, so what's your plan now that you're out of the hospital? And Kara says... It's a secret. And she turns the camera with a smirk. Allison, Henri Desjardins' spirit is inside Kara. I think. <gasps> the end. Oh. Bummer. <laughs> Allison, <laughs> I gotta ask, what are some fatal mistakes you think people may have made? Fatal mistakes. I mean... Making a documentary about somebody whose ability to, you know, consent or understand what's happening is loose at best is not great. Not a great yes. start. Um, but I would say every second they stayed there after things got weird w- was was the wrong move. Yeah. Like, once she appeared, it, like, on the counter and, like, was found outside eating dirt, I'd be like, you know what? I think this is, like, beyond, like— a documentary about the stress that it gives um, caregivers. I think that we're we're now outside of that realm, and it's not our place to be involved anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think Gavin left at the right time. Mm-hmm. I think they all should have left. Mm-hmm. I mean, but then it's like if you're Sarah and Deborah, you can't leave, right? You know. So there was also I just want to say like. You do not see Sarah or Mia or Louise at the end. So you don't know what happened to them. I assume they all lived. Oh. But we don't see them. That's kind of annoying. So I don't know. Right. It's like, did Sarah go back to Richmond? Did Mia? And it doesn't seem yeah, like close, Mia finished her documentary, but. Close those loops. Yeah. I think there are a lot of moments where we could have said, hey. Enough is enough. Maybe 
you know, but I mean, it's for your PhD. It's kind of the midsummer problem. Do you want to get your PhD or not? Right. Are you going to finish your thesis, Phil? Right. Yeah. Um, and then finally, where would you place the taking of Deborah Logan mm. on the spooky scale, Allison? A spooky scale. I I feel like this is a nine. Yeah. Like I think the mix of it being found footage, the like eeriness of so many of the early scenes, and then everything, uh, snakes, etc. Um, is bad. <laughs> and, like, the scene you described, I, like, never want to see it. Yeah, I really love this movie. I mean, obviously, I've seen it a bunch of times. This thing, it's rewatchable, so I love it in general. I'm going to give it a 9 too. Wow. I think it was a great combination of, like, the terror of Alzheimer's and of a parent dealing with something like that. And then once we get into the snake of it all, and I just, again, the actress who played Deborah Logan was... Um, let me see your name so I can get it right. Yeah. Um, it is Jill Larson. Mm-hmm. She is so good. so good. I guess she's best known as Opal Cortland and all my children. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't have known her because I don't watch soaps. Phenomenal in this. Absolutely love her. And then Sarah was played by Anne Ramsey, who she looked she was in Mad About You. Yes. She's been in a ton of stuff. Yes. But she's also, again, really she's great good. as like you know, a child that has a complicated uh, relationship, you know, with your parent, but you want to be there with them and, and help them out. Um, love this movie. One of my, maybe my top tens, I want to say. Oh, okay. um, both in terms of how much I loved the scares and the story of it, but also I think it's very rewatchable. And that to me, I don't know. It just, look at that. that's important. Look at that. Well, guys, um, I hope you enjoyed that. Yes. Um, and please set, send us your found footage suggestions yes. for as we continue found footage month. And I, yeah, uh, we um, care for you deeply. Mm-hmm. And um, even if you were turning into a giant demon snake guy, we would we would look after you. We want you to keep you know? listening <laughs> to the podcast. And and that's that's what I mean. Yeah. When I say help you, I mean provide content for you to enjoy while you are potentially fighting off some sort of um, malevolent spiritual parasite. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, boy, while you're doing that, and until we see you next time, please keep it spooky. Snakes. <laughs> Ruined is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder. Recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast. A village in India where everyone's name is a song. A boiling river in the Amazon. A spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode.